What a great, great morning. Always, always wonderful to see baptisms, to witness baptisms. We love making them part of our worship service uh, because it's new life. Did, uh, you see the shirts that each one's wearing, it says made new because they are. This is scripture, it's the word of God. And it's wonderful to see, and that makes it not just a good morning here in, in the sanctuary, but a great morning because things are new. The, the scripture that uh, the great apostle Paul wrote in his second letter to the Corinthians, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. We, we see it, we witnessed it, and it's wonderful. It is just fabulous. It's fabulous. Can't get enough of it. Uh, I love seeing the smiles up there and hearts that were just ready, ready. Newness, newness, newness of life. And the apostle wrote about it. He wrote about it more than one of his letters. How when we, we yield our lives to Jesus sincerely, and we're obedient. We heard uh, our pastor Noah up here reminding us from Acts chapter two, very first sermon of the apostle Peter. Repent and be baptized and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, the other apostle, the great apostle Paul wrote about this, how it's new. And yet, and yet, Paul himself would admit and he would write even when the new is here and we can proclaim, yes, the old is gone. The old is gone. Sometimes that old tries to creep back in. And the old competes with the new. The old competes against the new. Paul wrote about it, flesh versus spirit. Good versus evil. And the apostle was open about it. He was open about it in his very own testimony. He wrote about it in Romans chapter seven, how he struggled against evil. And just a couple of verses from Romans seven, Paul's testimony, he wrote in verses 21 to 23, after, after writing all about the struggle between good and evil, the old, the new, the flesh, the spirit, he wrote, so I find this law at work, although I wanna do good, Evil is right there with me. For, my, for in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. He was honest about this struggle. And to Paul, to Paul the, the good versus evil, the flesh versus spirit, it was more than a competition. He said it's a waging of war within. And I know I could talk to every single person in this sanctuary this morning, and you could say, you have experienced at times in your life such a battle. We all experience the battle. The battle that, that, that results in us struggling and contending against the old, trying to overtake the new. That battle and the results of that battle are reflected in life, in our life. And we've been talking about life. We've been talking about big picture life. 
Jesus as the author of life. Jesus as the center of abundant life. Big, big ideas about life. But this morning, we're going to look at life a little bit more personally, our life. And how our life on the, on the outside portrays what is on the inside. And sometimes that conflict and that contention the outer reflects the inner. And this is very plainly stated in the wisdom book, the book of Proverbs that was penned by the great king, the wise king Solomon. The book of Proverbs, which is excellent to just get really great snippets of wisdom, one line, and it's so rich. Here's one of them, Proverbs 27, verse 19. As water reflects the face, so one's life reflects the heart. Now, King Solomon employed a very simple, easy to understand image in that line. Water reflecting a face. It was the earliest mirror, a pool of still water. The, the Greeks enshrined this early, this early form of a mirror, a still water. They enshrined it in the myth of Narcissus. Narcissus was a beautiful boy. He was loved by all, but he returned affection to no one. One day, Narcissus happened by some still water, and as he bent to get a drink, an image appeared, an image of himself. And he fell in love with what he saw. He was so enraptured, he was so taken by his own image, reflected in the water, he refused to move. He never left staring at his own image and ultimately perished there on the bank of the water and a flower sprouted up, and they named it after him. This is the myth of Narcissus. And from still waters and mythology, mirrors, mirrors have thrived. From water to then polished brass to modern mirrors that are just a spray of aluminum behind polished uh, glass, mirrors are everywhere. I bet every single one who is in here today has already looked into a mirror. There's not a day that goes by that likely we don't use a mirror. And a mirror can be an obsession. Some become preoccupied, kind of like Narcissus. Have you ever used a form of social media, any form of social media? You know there's, there's kind of a popular image and pose for a photo. It looks like this. This is what it looks like. You see a photo of someone with a phone in front of their face. Why is that? Well, they're taking a photo of a mirror. So the image that you see is the mirror image, them holding up their, their camera on, on their phone. That's so enthralled with their own reflection, they gotta take a picture of it and share it with you. It can be an obsession. But mirrors aren't always obsession. They, 
They perform a function. They have a utilitarian purpose. A mirror tells us things about ourselves, and that's why we look at them. I look in the mirror. Oh, man, I need to shave. My hair is going crazy. I need a haircut. Got something in my teeth. Got to take care of that, right? Do these colors, do these colors work? Do they clash? We're using mirrors for this, you know, utilitarian function. It shows our reflection. It tells us something about ourselves. And that's what the proverb Solomon wrote instructs. Your life tells you about your heart. And I don't think the proverb needs much interpretation. Life is like that mirror. And there's no mystery in the imagery. It's straightforward. It's easy to understand. Your life is like a mirror that reflects what's in your heart. So your life is telling you and it's telling others what's going on inside. And what is on the inside? Well, there's competing interests like the Apostle Paul wrote about. The warring between flesh and spirit, good versus evil. And as I said, we all experience the battle. We've all been there. And I want to present a parable of sorts to you this morning about that. An illustration of the inner battle. And it comes from the Old Testament. I'm going to be in the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel chapter 5. Now first, uh, Samuel, the fifth chapter, it describes the events after the army of Israel had suffered a great defeat to their enemy, the Philistines. Israel had gone to battle, and they put before them the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant. It was designed by God. It was built under the direction of Moses. The Ark was a gold-plated chest. It contained the tablets of the Ten Commandments. It contained a piece of manna. It, it held the uh, staff that Aaron, uh, Moses' brother, held. And it, it had miraculously bore fruit in one night. It was an almond branch. And one night, it, this dead stick brought forth almonds. So they put that in the Ark of the Covenant, too. And uh, on the top of the Ark of the Covenant were two golden cherubim, two golden angels, and they faced each other with their wings outstretched and upright. And this was called the mercy seat, the cover of the ark, because the presence of Almighty God would come down on that cover in visible form, a bright, bright cloud. And it would rest there between these, these two angels with their outstretched wings. And the Philistines understood there was some awesome power truly awesome power associated with this ark. And when they defeated the Israelites, the Philistines, they captured the ark and they took it to their temple. And now what followed is this event where I find a parable. I can, uh, a parable of the inner heart, the battle between good and evil. So let's read what happened. Let's read what happened This is 1 Samuel chapter 5, verses 1, 2, and 3. And it reads, After the Philistines had captured the ark of God, they took it from Ebenezer to Ashdod. Then they carried the ark into Dagon's temple and set it beside Dagon. When the people of Ashdod arose early the next day, there was Dagon fallen on his face on the ground before the ark of the Lord. They took Dagon and put him back in his place. Now, this is the 
the account. It's an account of an actual event. But from this actual event, we can form a parable. A parable about the heart. And in a parable, an object, a person, an action, they represent something else. So let's look at this passage as a, a parable. And what, what do the things in it represent? Well, the temple of the Philistines represents the heart. The heart. The human heart is like the temple of the Philistines. Before that heart opens up to Jesus, what does the heart contain? It contains an idol. It contains perhaps more than one idol. Idols. Idols like the idol Dagon. And then a heart that opens, a heart that opens and invites Christ in, is like the temple there that received the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant. Uh, the Ark of the Covenant, it, it represents and depicts the, the presence of God, the presence of Almighty God, the Spirit of God, all that is good and righteous and holy, the, the Holy Spirit that, that brings life and light into a heart and takes up resonance, the Holy Spirit that fills a heart. And, and then there in, in that temple of the heart, facing Almighty God, is this idol, Dagon, a false idol. And that, that idol represents the lust of the flesh, the, the pride of life, the lust of the world, all that is evil and ultimately brings death. There's the idol and there's the presence of God. It's, it's there in the heart and the heart, it, the heart has this, this, this idol that represents death. You know, Prophet Jeremiah wrote, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. And when the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God enters a heart, God's righteousness and his holiness and his mercy and his compassion and his love, it's so vast and engulfing. The presence of God overpowers the wickedness, the evil of that idol, and it knocks that idol down on its face. Like Dagon, who, who fell on his face in the presence of God. Then what? Then the battle begins. It's kind of this, this struggle, this contention between the new and the old begins. A war between the flesh and the spirit. And when the flesh wins out, that's depicted in our little parable as lifting Dagon back up, putting him back in his place. And how often do we do the same thing? When we're tempted, when we're tempted and we beat it. Let's consider for a moment, you're tempted to beat it out. James in the New Testament says each person is tempted when they're dragged away by their own lusts and their evil desires and they're enticed. And he also wrote, but submit yourself to God and, and flee the devil. Draw near to God and he'll draw to you. So th think about it. Consider a time where you were tempted, but you beat it out. You were dragged. You were enticed. You had some kind of desire, and not a good desire. And then you did draw near to God. You, you resisted the devil. The devil was fleeing. And as you drew near to God, his presence was over, overwhelming. It was tangible. It was powerful. And that lust, that illicit desire, whatever it was, it was brought down because you desired and you invited in the presence of God and you sought God 
That idol's down. And then what? Then what? Do we pick that idol back up, put it in its place? Do we raise up what we had knocked down and put it back into a position of prominence in the heart? It happens. It happens. And sometimes it happens all too often. And are we paying attention? Do we see life reflecting the heart? Because as Solomon wrote, life reflects the heart. Are we reflecting dagons and idols? Idols that were brought down but then raised back up? Or, or are we reflecting the ark, the covenant, the presence of God? Are we reflecting Jesus? The, the lesson of self-focused narcissus, that lesson still applies. And it's no wonder. It is no wonder. Our enemy, the devil, he's the original narcissist. He is all about himself. You know, in the heart of Satan, in the heart of Satan, he longed to be God. Satan said in his heart, this comes from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 14, Satan said in his heart, I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of the assembly. I will ascend to the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. That's the heart of Satan. What he does reflects that heart. And Satan, the original narcissist, tempts in the same way. He tempts and he entices that we rebel against God and we become God ourselves. That's the ultimate temptation. That's what his temptation is all about. You don't need God because you are God. You are in charge. Self-pride, self-righteousness, self-promotion, self-gratification. It's, it's the, these are the idols that are, are being pushed in by Satan and he tempts and he wants us to lift up self in our heart, the idol of self. And what then is our heart reflecting in life? Is it reflecting these things? Is it reflecting these idols? Is it reflecting gratifying self? Is that a dagon that, that keeps getting picked up and put back in its place? You know, the culture, de- it, it promotes and it even demands that we are gratified and we're instantly gratified and that we get our fill. We get our fill of food and we should have our fill of luxury and we should have our fill of entertainment and our fill of leisure. We should have our fill of whatever lust we want, whatever our heart desires. And you know, if, if we can't afford to fill that lust, whatever our heart desires, you know, there's a piece of plastic that just wants our name on it so that we can go and get our hearts filled anyway. It just, it keeps on coming. And that's the culture. Satisfy, satisfy yourself to your heart's success. Is that daggone of, of excessive self-gratification being raised back up in your heart? Is your heart reflecting a desire to, to fill yourself with what gratifies your human lust? Another example of a Dagon in the heart about self. How about just self-promotion? And, and don't get me wrong. There are times where self-promotion, it's 
perfectly legitimate. It's perfectly legitimate to talk about yourself, to promote yourself, to sell yourself, to maybe speak about the gifts and the talents that God has given you. It could be job-related. It could be school-related. You might be explaining to somebody why you're instructing them and you speak about your qualifications. That's okay. There's good reasons to promote yourself from time to time. But there are times when this self-promotion, well, I'll just say it can be questionable. Now, I mentioned earlier the mirror selfies. Now, to say mirror selfie, that's kind of redundant, isn't it? A mirror mirror is all about me. A selfie is all about me. So a mirror selfie is kind of like exponential me. It's kind of like myself squared. It's me to the extreme. In, in our culture, it's not just really a marginal trend, this, this thing of mirror selfies and self-promotion. You know, there are tons and tons. It's just an endless supply of books and, and classes and podcasts and coaches that will teach you all about self-promotion, how you can self-market, how you can brand yourself. You can be a brand. Do you know that in mere seconds, in mere seconds, a quick just search online, you can have at your fingertips, and I'm not making this up, hundreds and hundreds of articles on the greatest techniques for mirror selfies. Mirror selfies, how to take a picture of yourself in a mirror. Now, there may be a perfectly good reason to take a picture of yourself in a mirror. I don't know too many of them, but maybe you got one. But if you're ever planting yourself in front of a mirror and picking up your device and go, just take a second, take a minute, and ask, am I lifting a dagging back up? What is it that's in my heart right now that I'm doing right now? What, what is it that I'm reflecting there in my heart? Is, is it the me culture Because the me culture and the me culture, me is supreme. Me is God. Everything's about me. And I could talk more and more about idols. Idols we put up in our hearts. Idols we knock down and pick back up. Idols of self-righteousness and pride and, uh, you know, just seeing people less than ourselves, the desire to make ourselves more, gossiping about someone else, putting them down that raises ourselves up, lying about something, Uh, maybe self-enrichment, sometimes fixated on just building wealth and money, greedy for riches. Again, none of of these things could be said um, that they're wrong every single time. But if it is overtaking, and it can be sin, lying, gossiping, all sin, all sin, it usually points back to self. We sin because it's about me. I'm like the king of self, like the king of self, Satan, the original narcissist said, I will be like the most high God. That's the temptation. That's where, that's, that's where sin takes us. You know, the culture's owned by Satan who preaches, you're God. You know, so we raise these idols. We raise up these dagons in our heart and we make them preeminent. And is life reflecting that heart filled with selfish ambition or a heart filled with the ark of God? 
with the presence of the Holy Spirit, the abiding presence, the gift that God gave us, the gift we heard about earlier. Repent, be baptized, you'll be filled with the Holy Spirit. This is a gift that's promised by God. Is, is our life reflecting a heart? And if it is, that's, that's fabulous, and it's what, we ought to be, it's what we ought to be directing and aiming for. But sometimes those idols that are knocked down, oh, there's that desire to put them back up. How do we keep them down? How do we keep them down? How do we keep the Dagons on their face? Let, let me just say, Christian, Christian, you have the ark of God. You have his presence, his infilling presence, the infilling of the Holy Spirit. And with the infilling of the Holy Spirit, not only can you knock down these idols, but you can keep them down. You can keep the Dagons down. The ark of God, the Holy Spirit has come in. And that means that, that means that something has taken place, that the, the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the truth, it is shined in your heart and convinced and convicted of sin. And, and your heart is turned in repentance and acknowledged that the gospel of Jesus Christ is the power to salvation to everyone who believes and you believed it and the spirit of the living God has filled your heart when you came to Christ in repentance you acknowledged your sin and you acknowledged that Jesus died on the cross for you and he freed you from the penalty that you justly owed for your sin and rebellion against God and and he brought you into a true restoration with God and a true relationship with God and idols in your heart, they were thrown down. They were thrown down and the newness was there and the scripture was true in your life. If anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. The old is gone. The new is here. But then a day came, a day came where, man, you were getting tempted to raise up one of those idols. How do you keep them down? How do you keep them down when you're tempted to raise them back up? I'll give you a couple of things. It's not an exhaustive list. You go into your, the word of God and you'll find help every single time. But here's, a, here's just one, uh, I'll say, practical apl- application. Fill your mind. Fill your mind with the things of God. When you've got the urge to sin and overwhelming desire, you've got to crave to do what's wrong, a lust that's coming back. Most often, you wrestle with the thoughts. You're wrestling with the thoughts. There's this... The, the fight is internal, it's in the mind. Fill your mind with the things of God. Make no room for that idol. And, and Colossians chapter three, the great apostle Paul wrote this. He said, since then you've been raised with Christ. We saw that this morning. Paul's talking about baptism here in Colossians chapter three. If you have time, read Colossians chapter two. He talks about the circumcision of heart, a circumcision made without hands on on the heart when you yield to baptism. And Paul wrote, your baptism, in your baptism, it's likened to being, uh, to dying with Christ and then being raised like Christ. That's what this baptism means is an image of, and and he writes then at the open of chapter three, since then you've been raised with Christ, set your hearts on the things above. Set your heart on the things above so that when life reflects, it's reflecting a heart that's set on things above where Christ 
is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ and God. Set your heart, set your mind on things above. Get your mind off the earthly things and set your mind and your heart on the things above. And I know that's easier said than done. You can say, oh yeah, you can preach it, pastor. But tell me, it's hard to do. How do I do it? Well, I'm not going to stand up here and tell you that. It's very easy. But if you've died with Christ, put that thought in your mind. Get back to the day you were baptized. And remember, you died with Christ. When you're tempted to sin, think about it. Think about how you were raised in newness of life. The old does not need to come back. See, it's dead to me. And focus on the things above, and that's Jesus. You know, the pr most preeminent thing above is Jesus. And focus on that. Put him first. Put him first and make no room for the devil because the devil would have you put yourself first. That's what he would say. You're number one. Jesus is number one. Set your mind on that. Think less of me. Less of me, more of Jesus. That is scriptural. Less of me, more of Jesus. Picture Christ in your mind. Picture Christ in your mind. Make this an exercise. I, I, I've, this is something that I do. You, it, for me, it just works, and uh, maybe it could for you. When these things are coming at you, the world, see Jesus on the cross. See Jesus on the cross, and then envision the empty tomb. And trust he did all of that for you. He gave his life. He rose from the dead for you. And let that thought overtake you. Let that thought overwhelm you. And, and I, I know temptation can be beat. Idols can fall. Fill your mind and your heart with things like that. A second way then to keep idols down. When this battle of the flesh and the spirit is raging, apply this, apply this. It's Philippians chapter four. Again, the great apostle Paul, he wrote, do not be anxious about anything. Man, the devil's coming at you. Whatever the temptation is, do not be anxious about it. Don't be anxious about anything. But in every situation by prayer and petition, this is an action. You know, this is not just something that's, Oh, it's, oh, that's something that we read. No, this is an action. You want practical? This is practical. You must pray, pray, petition, seek God, ask God, get before God and pray with thanksgiving. You know, Lord, I'm getting tempted. Thank you, God, for reminding me that Jesus died on the cross for me. You know, you're in the midst, you're in the throes of temptation, lust is overtaken or something, and you think it's terrible. What do you got to thank God for? Thank him that Jesus died for you and made a way for you to beat this temptation. If you got anything, you feel like you got nothing to, to thank him about, thank him for that. Thank you, God, that this is in front of me, and I know Jesus died for me to get this out of the way. Thank him for that. With thanksgiving, be grateful that he died for you. Be grateful that Jesus rose from the dead. And then present your request to God. And what does it say? In the peace of God, which transcends all of what you understand. It'll guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now that's an amazing statement. You want your heart guarded? You want, a, you want a life that reflects a heart that's filled with the presence of Almighty God? Guard your heart by going to him in prayer with thanksgiving and say, Lord, guard my heart now because I don't want any of this junk in there and I need these daggons kicked out. 
And then it says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, right, pure, lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. That's back to Colossians. Set your mind on these things. What are you thinking about? You thinking about somebody on social media, put some picture out there, they want you to be them or whatever. Turn that junk off. Cut the cord on some of that garbage. Don't put your, that junk in your mind. Get rid of those temptations. Bring then your temptation to God and cry out to him with thanksgiving. God, thank you. Thank you. Thank you that I even need help to tear this idol down, but I know you can do it and I trust you can do it. Help me to do it. Make your, your request. Surrender it to God. And you know what? You can have a life. You can. You can have a life that reflects a heart of peace under the guard of God as you, as you then think on the things that are pure and lovely and admirable. And if you do, if you do lift up an idol, you know, I know it happens. I know despite all of this, focusing on the right things, praying Sometimes we fail. Been there and done that. What do we do? What do we do then? I say this. Do what you did the very first time you encountered Jesus Christ. Acknowledge Jesus. Acknowledge Jesus Christ as Lord. Repent and surrender to him. Allow that word of God, the gospel, the power of God unto salvation and the presence of the Holy Spirit to shine in your heart and convince and convict you of sin so you repent and, and fill that heart back with the presence of Almighty God to bring down the idol so your life reflects a heart set on Christ and filled with the Spirit. It happens. I don't know if it's happening to you today. I don't know if it's happened to you this week. And, and maybe you've done a great job of keeping those idols down. And I know so many of you have because you have made Christ central. And you do focus on the things above. But if you're struggling today, if you've got something you need to lay down, you need to get it, you need that dagon kicked out. Read the rest of 1 Samuel chapter 5 because you know what the presence of the Lord did? After they raised Dagon back up, well, he knocked it down and busted him up. You need an idol busted up? You need an idol busted up today? I mean, are you struggling with something? I just invite y'all to stand. And I know it can be difficult to, to say, you know, that's me. I'm, I'm struggling with something. And I really do need to put it before the Lord today. Don't be ashamed. Do not be ashamed. This is the human experience. The greatest apostle, after Jesus, Paul, the apostle, wrote three quarters of the New Testament, he wrote, I got the struggle, I've done it. I struggle between the good and the evil, the lust of the flesh and the spirit. Listen, you, you can come, I invite you to come down here and just take, take a minute or two, just say, Lord, I'm putting it before you. And I need this thing, uh, I need this thing removed and I'm asking you to help. And if that's you this morning, I just invite you to come and uh, again, I know it's not the easiest thing in the world to do. 
but you can leave with a heart, a heart that's, a heart that's got that idol down, down and out, filled back with the Spirit. And, and if you need, if you need that touch of the Spirit, you know, Jesus said, how much more will, will the Lord give you the Spirit? To them that ask, just come and ask, just come and and present it before God. Let's pray, and as I pray, if you need to, you, you, you feel the, the need to come down and just put something down, I'm not, gonna, I'm not gonna ask somebody to come and ask you what it is. You just get before the Lord. Get before the Lord and speak to him. Let that thing go. Get it out today. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, God, for this image of the mirror. Our life is a mirror that reflects our heart. And God, Sometimes that reflection isn't something that we even want to see. God, I pray that we, we would all have the desire that that reflection would be Jesus. That reflection would be a heart full of what is noble and true and admirable and good and the loving kindness of God. And uh, Lord, I just pray right now if there's anyone here, they've, they've got something, whatever it is, something they've just raised back up in their heart above, above Jesus, something that's been pulling at them and, and they've struggled with it. And God, I pray, I pray right now, they're offering that up to you, Lord, with thanksgiving. Thank you for revealing it, Lord. Thank you for putting it in front. Thank you for a heart that has a desire to tear that idol down, Lord. And with thanksgiving, we present this petition for you to do a great work as it's surrendered to you to remove it and knock it down and heal up hearts and fill them with that ark of God, the ark of covenant, the presence of almighty God, the Holy Spirit. Lord, I just ask it, Lord. And I pray that there's hearts with sincerity praying that today that would leave here and never have a desire to pick that junk back up. Lord, I just pray that, God. And if there's, if there's someone that needs to cut, cut out some a, 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 a conduit of garbage coming into their life, whatever it is, be it online or through any other form of media, books or whatever, God, I just pray. I pray there's that separation right now, God. And truly, truly, Lord, God Almighty, you would give that peace, that peace we can't understand. It transcends our minds and our thoughts that would guard hearts and minds. God, I just pray for your people today. Keep those hearts guarded and protected, those minds guarded and protected, that we could be people whose lives reflected you, Jesus. Lord, I pray that. Grant that mercy to everyone here, everyone listening. We need it, God. We need it. So we live for you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, we ask it all. Amen. Amen. If you need... If you need a prayer today for healing, you want to be anointed with oil, our elders are always here after a service. You can come to these altars for that prayer. God bless you this morning.